You've got your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 2. I've been talking about weird things, right? Weird money, weird time, weird us. About this concept that we were created to be different, that we were created to be weird, that we were created to live a life that was not like everybody else that's kind of around, everybody else that we kind of see, and that we were created to live for the Lord. And today we're going to tackle an issue that is not usually tackled on a Sunday morning service. We, if we tackle this issue in church, it's in a small group Bible study, or we do it in youth group, or we do it somewhere outside of this place. And yet, it's a vitally important subject. And so I want to make a couple of promises to you on the front end about our weird sex talk, okay? The first promise I want to make to you is that we're going to talk about some um, important things that Scripture talks about that I think it's an important and vitally important that we understand. That we have some things that as a church we need to address just as believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And that we need to look at those from a biblical perspective and we need to understand them. So I'm going to promise you that we're going to talk about those things. We're not going to sidestep issues or mince words. We're going to talk about some important issues. Um, Secondly, I promise to do it in as uh, a reverent way as possible. While acknowledging that too many times the church has been so reverent about it, we haven't talked about it. I I said this on Wednesday night. It's, It's... It's not coincidence how God lines things up. And I've been preaching through the Sermon on the Mount on Wednesday night. And last Wednesday night, where we were in the Sermon on the Mount was where Jesus talks about adultery. And so we talked about that a little bit. And I had a, we had a conversation about that. And I said in that message on Wednesday night, one of the problems that the church has when it comes to the issue of sex is that we have seeded the ground that God gave us to talk about it. We just don't talk about it. We just don't, we let it, it's that thing that nobody wants to talk about, or we get embarrassed about, or we snicker about, or make sure you talk to our youth about it, but let's don't talk about it in public. And we just don't do it. And as a result, the culture has kind of filled in everything in the middle about what it means. I mean, sex is in the news all the time, right? I remember the first time that I thought, man, I can't believe they're talking about that on the news. It was when I was in seminary, and it was the Bill Clinton affair, right? I was working at a preschool at the time, a fine arts preschool, a fancy preschool. And the parents were coming in, and like we had the news on, and they talked about this. What, my kid, just out of the blue, my six-year-old asked me about this question. I don't know what to tell them. This wasn't a Christian preschool, it was just a preschool. And they were like, what do we do? Now that kind of stuff gets talked about on a regular basis, right? This last week was an example of how sex is just kind of in the news and talked about just on a popular level all the time. And that was the Jason Collins story. Y'all know that? I mean, you know that Jason Collins story. Basketball player just uh, um, ended the story, ended the season. His team was not in the playoffs. Came out in Sports Illustrated that he's the first openly homosexual player in a major team sport in American history. Now, there's a lot of qualifiers there because there are some that have come out after they played. There are some that are in other sports that aren't considered major. But it was just interesting to see the dialogue that was there. We're actually going to talk a little bit about the dialogue in a minute. But just in the news, all day on 
um, I don't even remember when, when it happened, Monday or Tuesday, first part of the week, got on the radio, and I had on, I have about five, I have XM radio in the, in the vehicle that we have, and I have about five um, sports talk radio stations that are just kind of plugged in, and Major League Baseball, and NBA, and, and everyone you turned on, that's all they were talking about. It was just in the news. It's just there. What do you feel about that? And players were coming out, and one player wrote he didn't like it, and he got kind of nailed for it. A guy that... Um, was a, a commentator on ESPN talked about it, and he got blasted for it. It's just there. And it seems like the voices in our society that are consistently talking about it are voices that we don't necessarily need to listen to. Commentators and musicians, actors and actresses, political pundits with agendas, Sometimes we need a voice that comes from exactly where it needs to come. You know, the truth is, if we were struggling in a computer business and Bill Gates walked into the room, we might listen to what he said. Right? Are are you here? Yeah, you just got this glazed look on you, all right? It's going to go a whole lot weirder if it's just glazed look the whole time. All right? Jeff and I play golf on... Uh, Thursday this past week, first time I've played in a long time, and I did not play particularly well, and, and neither one of us set the course on fire with our score, all right? And uh, if we, if in the middle of, of one of our, you know, holes, when I, was, when I was on my second shot getting ready to hit the approach shot, if the golf cart pulls up beside me and Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson are sitting there and they say, hey, I just noticed a couple of things with your swing. Can I help you out? What do you think I'm going to say? Absolutely, right? I'm going to Take any advice I can get. Jeff and I were not helping each other out in, the, in that kind of department, all right? And on this issue, what's strange is people with a biblical understanding of what sex is and what it's supposed to be aren't given a form. Now, in a culture that is increasingly antagonistic to the Christian faith, that really shouldn't be surprising. But what you're hearing out there is not biblically what is accurate in revelation chapter 2 it's an interesting story in scripture because this is the last book of the bible and as the last book of the bible is kind of getting going jesus is going to speak to particular churches give them here's what's good here's what's bad here's some things you need to work on understand this there's who i am you need to understand that and in Chapter 2, verse 18, he's writing a letter to Thyatira, which is a church. He says this, to the angel of the church of Thyatira. Now, a lot of questions about what the angel is. I think it's the pastor of the church, the, the leader of the church, to that church. The Son of God, in case you forget who that is. The one whose eyes are like a fiery flame and whose feet are like fine bronze says, I know your works, your love your faithfulness, your service, and your endurance, and that you're improving. So far, so good, right? You're doing all these good things, your love, your faithfulness, your service, your endurance, and what you're doing is getting better as we go along instead of worse. He says, what I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and teaches and deceives my slaves to commit sexual immorality and to eat meat sacrificed to idols. Here's kind of the the situation. I'm going to read you some stats here in a minute. He looks at this church and he says, you're doing some good things. You've got some good things going on. You're working. You're 
you've got the, your priorities in the right place in certain areas, but this I have against you, that you tolerate Jezebel. Now, who, anybody know who Jezebel is? Where's Jezebel from? The Old Testament, right? Jezebel, by many, is considered kind of the worst um, female in the Old Testament, which is not something you want to be, all right? So he says, you are Jezebel, and you're tolerating it. Specifically, you're tolerating the sexual practices. Now, I don't think there was an actual woman named Jezebel, but there was some prophetess around that was preaching things, saying things, freedom and openness when it comes to sexuality. It says, you were tolerating that, and you should have never tolerated it. And so he says to them, what I have against you is you've tolerated it. Now, can I just tell you something? As a society, we tolerate a lot. As churches, we tolerate a lot. In fact, I, I didn't preach on this in the first service, but I asked them to pray for us in this service because this is what I firmly believe. That there is no issue that is holding back my generation and the generations that are younger than me. No issue holding us back more from pursuing God passionately than the issue of sexuality. What we believe, what we practice, who we are, what we say, how we have let it invade our lives. Somebody compared it to the fact that what they said is that sex is intended to be like a small bonfire. And that within the confines of marriage, it is supposed to be that thing that occasionally or frequently you go to in order to warm up and be enriched and helped. But the problem is we've got people playing around with the bonfire that were never intended to play around with the bonfire and it's turned into a full force forest fire. It's out of control. Listen to this. A study by the RAND Corporation said that kids who have repeated exposure to sexual content become sexually active at an earlier age. It also says this. They studied 1,100 television programs in 1998 and then 1,100 programs in 2008. And what they found is that the number of references, people in bed together, sexual innuendo had doubled in 10 years. That's not to mention the billboards, the danger it is walking through the mall with two boys that are growing up. Filth is everywhere. It's not just that either. Commercially, sex has become a business. In 2006, now that's seven years ago, so this is old data, but some of the most recent I could find, there were um, 4.2 million pornographic websites, and 89% of them originated in the United States. In 2001, so 12 years ago, 18 million Americans visited a pornographic website that year. Eight years later, that number was 78 million. In 2006, the porn industry took in more than $13 billion, which is more than CBS, ABC, and NBC combined. More than 13,000 pornographic videos are made every year. That's one every 39 minutes. Every day there are more than 68 million requests for porn on search engines, accounting for 25% of all Internet traffic. Over half of Americans who are getting married are living together. Compared to 50 years ago, about 1%. 
22% of husbands, 15% of wives have had extramarital affairs at some point. From 1987 to 1992, five years, which is, this is really old data. I think it's doubled again since then, the last I saw. Strip clubs in America doubled. Sexually transmitted disease have almost doubled in the last eight years. Somebody said America is in a cesspool of sexuality. And nobody's able to say to anybody else, let's get out. And here's the issue. When, when the study was done, the number one problem among young men and young women when it came to sin kind of things was pornography. And what they discovered is this, that pornography is what they call a spiraling sin. That as you begin, certain things shock and annoy you and disgust you. But as you begin to get involved in the sin, research shows that you need more and more graphic and more disturbing to reach the same level of satisfaction. I have this against you. You tolerate the woman Jezebel. Let's talk about that word for a minute. Tolerance. It's kind of a buzzword, right? How many of you have heard the word tolerance lately in the news? Jason Collins thing. Tolerance, right? Here's some things that, to let you know about tolerance. I saw that this week from a, a pastor that I respect. He said some important things to understand about tolerance is that tolerance is for people and not issues. That it is the tone of the disagreement, not that there is no disagreement. For instance, if Jeff and I have a major disagreement about something, the way that we interact with each other on that disagreement is a tolerating way, a gentle way, an understanding way. It's not acknowledging that one or the other is right and we're going to move on. It is having a real disagreement in a gentle way. Now, I'll agree that there are times when, as Christians, we have not been very tolerant in our disagreements. That doesn't mean that we shouldn't have disagreements with the culture, but the way we have disagreed has been mean-spirited but in general, tolerance is for people, not issues. Secondly, tolerance is for strangers, not family. The closer you get to me in a relationship, the less tolerant I'm going to be about things that we disagree on. If we're just strangers and you have a different... I may disagree with you, but it doesn't impact me. If Susan and I have a major disagreement... That impacts me. Amen, husbands? Yeah. If mama's not happy, nobody happy, right? The closer we get to somebody, the less we tolerate. That's important from a Christian point of view because it's not, hey, I love you and we're going to be brothers and sisters in Christ and you just do whatever you want to do. Tolerance is also for small issues, not big ones. The more important the issue, the less tolerant we can be with those closest to us about the issue. What does Jesus say here? What does he have against these people that they are tolerant, right? Is that what he says? 
I have this against you that you're tolerating this, that you're making it okay, that you're accepting it. And the reason because the reason he's saying that is because he knows what sex is supposed to be in the meaning of following Jesus. And there are a few things that we need to understand. First of all, that sex is sacred to God. Here's what I ask Wednesday night. And here's what I want you to think about. Why does sex outside of marriage so disturb the Lord? I mean, if you read the scripture, there are lots of sins. And people talk about there's no degree of sin. And I understand that one sin is a sin and all sins are sin. But the consequences of some sins are greater than the consequences of others. Amen? And they just are. Now, we can try to jump around that all we want to. But it's true. And Jesus and the New Testament teaches that. They talk about the fact. In fact, there's in the Paul's writings about that. Uh, and Jesus talks about sin being this thing that can cause major issues. And that we've got to take big time precautions against it when it comes to sexual sin. And that it's the only sin that we do outside the body that's directly affecting other people and dragging people in. In fact, there's this place that says, Woe to you if you awaken or if you uh, defraud or if you call someone else to sin in a sexual way. And the idea is that there are some things that are more serious than others. So why is it that God is so set against sexual sin outside of marriage. This is what I've come up to. That people, when we start to give some very good answers, you can find some very good answers about the problems it cause, and we'll talk about that in a minute, and those kind of things. It's because it robs the central essence and joy of what it means to be married. Either before you're married or during your marriage, sex outside of marriage takes out of the marriage covenant Something that was intended only for that. And destroys it. Dilutes it. Causes problems within it. The truth is that Scripture teaches over and over again that sex is a sacred thing. In fact, Hebrews 13.4 says, Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer, and all the sexually immoral. To put it in a way we've been talking about, sex is weird. Because it is only intended in the set-apart place of where God intended it inside of a marriage covenant. Scripture makes very clear that when it says in Scripture that a man and wife shall leave their mother and father and shall cleave one to another, there is very clear in Scripture that the cleaving together is speaking about the sexual relationship in marriage that brings emotional and personal cleaving. It is sacred. It is something from God for people that is good and blessed and fun and right. And when you take it outside of that relationship, you begin to enjoy it in a place that it was not intended to be enjoyed. It's also serious. I mean, the truth is that it is something that has serious consequences, but also can bring about serious things that are good. One of the studies I read this week talked about um, the importance of abstaining from sex before marriage, inside of marriage. There's some shocking statistics, and they may not sound shocking to you, but psychologists think they're shocking. That those who abstain from intercourse before marriage 
have significantly higher levels of sexual satisfaction and overall satisfaction within marriage. 38% more satisfaction. You say 38%, that's not a lot. To psychologists, that's a lot. Those who lived together before marriage, remember that number is 50% of all couples, and that's up from 1% in 1950 or so. Those who lived together before marriage have a 50% higher divorce rate than those who don't. Those who wait, and this is one that just makes sense, those who wait to have sex before that until they're married, the rates are significantly higher for them to be faithful to the marriage in marriage. And this was something that uh, some Christian psychologists discovered in a study they did, that when you introduce sex into a dating relationship, more times than not, the initial sexual encounter is the apex of the relationship and introduces the decline that leads to the breakup. I mean, it's just one of those things that when taught the way God intended as a sacred rite within marriage, it works and it's good and it's right. And outside of that, it brings all kinds of difficulty. In the passage I talked about from Wednesday night, Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery, right? Where's that found? Do not commit adultery, where's that? It's in the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus. And in Exodus, in the Ten Commandments, it just says, do not commit adultery. And, and just to kind of let you know, in the day of Jesus' time, they had kind of a messed up understanding of what that meant. To them, adultery was when a woman who was married slept with another man. So a man, in their day, not today, not what the Bible teaches in their day. One of their understandings was that a man could basically have sex with anybody except for somebody that was married to somebody else. And it was okay. A woman who was married could only have relationships with her husband. And the truth is, even before she was married, she couldn't have relationships with anybody else because that would damage the marriage that would come later. And so when it talked about it, it's always the adulteress until Jesus comes along. And Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say, if you as a man look at a woman with lustful thoughts or desires, you have already committed adultery. So not only does he shift the responsibility to the man, he shifts the responsibility to the man and what he's thinking, not what the actual action is. Here's what I said the other night. You know, it surprises me in some ways that we don't fight as Christians to do more about having... Um, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount put up in places instead of the Ten Commandments because he explains the Ten Commandments. But here's the reason. As Christians, we don't want that because it's a lot tougher than the Ten Commandments. Don't commit adultery. Most of us are, oh, that's all right. I'm okay with that. Don't ever think about a woman in a way like that. Ooh, wait a minute. Don't commit murder. Well, I never shine anybody. I'm good, Jesus. Don't even think you're angry and yell at them or act in anger towards somebody. Ooh, that's different. So Jesus says, if you've even thought about a woman in your mind, you've already committed adultery. And then he says, this is right after that, if your right eye is causing you to sin, what should you do? Take it out. And if your right hand's causing you to sin, what do you do? Cut it off. Do you think he wanted people to actually pluck their eyes out and cut their hands off? I hope not. We don't have it. We're not planning on that at the end of the service, all right? But his point is this point is this we need to take drastic measures 
when it comes to all sin. It shows the seriousness of sin, but particularly sexual sin, to guard what happens in our lives. We need to watch that we don't go to dangerous places. Now, two generations ago, that just meant don't get caught in a place physically that you don't need to be with somebody. But today, that has expanded greatly. Don't get caught online with somebody you shouldn't be online with in emails or text messaging or Facebook messaging or Snapchat. Don't get caught there with somebody you shouldn't be. Not even with innocent, flirtatious stuff. In my seminary uh, program, there was a guy in our program that was in the group a couple of before us and had to drop out because he had got caught in some extramarital stuff. And he looked at us one day and I said, so what I didn't say it, but that guy next to me just said, we were talking about, I wonder what, you know, kind of asked, I wonder what happened there because we, we knew him from the previous group and he heard us and he said, what, what do you all want to know? And he said, well, what would you tell us as pastors? How do we guard ourselves? And he said, he said, it started with a single email. He said, that's all I can tell you. That was innocent, but a little flirtatious on her part. And he said to us, and here's what I want you to know. He, he is a big fan, and I've watched too. Bear Grylls, y'all know who Bear Grylls is? Who doesn't know who Bear Grylls is? All right. He's a survivor, man. He's one of those man versus wild. He goes out there, you know, he gets dropped off in 20 below degree stuff with a pair of shorts on and, you know, survive out there. And uh, he said he was watching Bear Grylls one time after this happened, and he thought about it in relationship to his life. And he said he was, Bear Grylls was hanging on the face of a cliff by one hand. And he turned around to the cameraman that's over there with him. And he says to him, I've got to make a jump to the next level. He said, 49 times out of 50, I'll make it with no problem. He said, let's hope this isn't the one time. Because if it is, he's done. This guy that was in our seminar said, you don't know how many times I've thought, 49 out of 50 times I would have refused that email. But this was the one time I didn't. You've got to set boundaries. Don't be in the wrong place with the wrong person. At any time. Watch your eyes, your ears, your mind. It has never been more important and more difficult to guard the things around us that we see and hear and interact with. Stuff that is difficult for us to deal with and contrary to what God would want us to see pops up in places that it never should pop up. Amen. I'm scrolling through people's Facebook feed and whoo, there's a joke there, or a picture there, or something there. you got to guard that stuff. You know one of my favorite features on Facebook? How many of you have Facebook? Just making sure, okay, this is wrong. My favorite features on Facebook is the hide all post. Y'all know that? Y'all know that exists? You need to learn that exists with some people on your Facebook profile. Not your pastor or your staff or anybody that you... That's not for those people. It just pops up. You've got to guard it. The last two Wednesday nights I've used this phrase. Um, 
Billy Graham is famous for saying, I can't stop a bird from flying over my head, but I can stop it from building a nest in my hair. Right? We have a bird that built a nest in my brand new infrared grill. That's fun, isn't it? I don't know how they got in the grill. There are now four eggs waiting to hatch before I can cook a burger. Unless I want eggs, I have to not cook on the thing. And Susan looked it up because, you know, there are some nests that are protected and all that. Kind of stuff. We, by the way, we had a nest on our front door in our wreath. They are attacking the house. But here's the thing. Susan said to me a couple of weeks ago, hey, there's a bird that keeps flying to sit on top of your grill and flying away. Oh, you don't think it's building a nest? I say, it can't build a nest. It can't get in there. You know, as a husband, ever have one of those moments when you look outside and you see the nest now flowing out of the grill and you think, can I clean it up before Susan sees it? Can I do that? It's there. I should have prevented it. There are a lot of people that let stuff fly in and out of their minds all the time and then they begin to dwell on it and it begins to build. Jesus says you've got to build boundaries. You've got to set standards. What you watch and what you read and what you... Oh, it's not... It's not it, doesn't, I don't, it doesn't affect me. It, it doesn't, doesn't bother me at all to see that stuff or to hear that stuff or to watch that. It doesn't bother me. It may bother somebody else, but I'm okay in who I am in Christ. I have freedom in Christ. Yeah, good with that. Boundaries. That one time can be very costly. Back to Revelation. Look at verse 21. Because this is, here's what you do. You set boundaries, and then if you've already messed up, and there are some of you in this room that have messed up, are messing up, or in the relationship where you've messed up all the time. Verse 21. I gave her time to repent, but she doesn't want to repent of her sexual immorality. You remember the show, To Catch a Predator? Do you remember that show? I mean, it kind of became a punchline joke in some parts of kind of society, but they interviewed, I saw an article where they interviewed some of the guys that were caught on that show. Do you, you know the premise of the show? They they act like somebody online to lure a sexual predator in, and then they bring them there and they confront them. And several of the guys said, I knew I was being set up. By the time it came to the meeting, I knew I was being set up. I still couldn't help but go through with it just in case. Here's the truth about a lot of us as Americans or American culture in general. The reason we're not repenting of the sin of sexual immorality is that we don't want to. Verse 22, I'll throw into her sickbed and those who commit adultery with her will have great tribulation unless they repent of her practice. As I will kill her children with the plague, then all of the churches will know that I am the one who examines minds and hearts and I will give to each of you according to your works. Here's what he says. I'm giving you an opportunity to repent. Repentance is seen throughout Scripture, and it just means when we mess up, we say to the Lord, we mess up, we're going to do better, but not in our own strength, in the strength of you. The idea that Jesus paid it all, man, I'm so glad we sang that song right before this message, because the truth is Jesus has paid it all. He has provided a way of forgiveness. No matter what you have been involved in, no matter what your secret life is like, no matter what your familiar sin in this area is, no matter how many times you've gone back to it over and over after saying, I'm not going back, I'm not doing it again, no matter how many times you have found yourself caught 
in sexual immorality, either what you look at or what you listen to or who you're involved with, no matter how many times that has happened, the truth is the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ is available for you at any moment. He has paid the price, but it requires on our part repentance. It requires confession and it requires stepping forward and allowing him to change us. And here's the thing. If you begin to live as Christ asks you to live, no sex before marriage, not even getting close to that, setting boundaries with boyfriends and girlfriends as a teenager that says, we're not even crossing this line. We're not going to find out how far can we go. We're going to say that we're going to stop way before we can ever get there. If you're going to set those things, if you are an adult male that says, I'm never going to look anything online. I'm going to treat my wife with respect. I'm never going to joke about it with friends. I'm not going to listen to crude jokes. I'm not going to listen to jokes that involve women that, that are degrading and that involve sex as being something other than sacred and serious before the Lord. If you're going to do that, if you're going to say, listen, I'm not going to watch these shows and I'm not going to put it on my DVR. I'm not going to sit down and watch them on Hulu. I'm not going to watch them on the TV. I'm not going to go to these movies. If you're going to do that stuff, you are going to be weird. I mean, in some cases, really weird. But denying some of that stuff is a lot better than plucking out your eye or cutting off your hand. Amen. And Jesus says this is serious stuff. And I am convinced that until my generation and the generation behind me and the generation behind that, which is my children's generation, unless we solve the issue of sexual immorality, not in America, but within the church in America, we will never see God awaken this nation or the church within us. 